Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was March 25th, 1911. A little before five in the afternoon that Saturday, a cutter named Isidore Abramowitz at the Triangle Shirtwaist Company factory in New York noticed a fire in his scrap bin. In a matter of moments, the fire was blazing. And unfortunately, the safety standards in the factory were terribly poor, so a lot of workers didn't make it out alive. The chaos lasted about 18 minutes, and the fire was under control by about a half hour after it started. But 146 workers died, largely because workplace safety was so neglected at the factory. The danger of conditions in factories like Triangle Shirtwaist was no secret, and plenty of people died every day in the workplace back in those days. As devastating as the fire was, it did lead to labor reforms. In the early 1900s in New York, factories were known for the low wages they paid their workers, the long hours employees were on the clock, and how unhygienic and dangerous working conditions could be. And it was common knowledge that fires posed a huge risk in factories. The Triangle Waste Company factory was no exception. The factory at 23 to 29 Washington Place in the Ash Building was owned by Max Blanc and Isaac Harris. Another factory the pair owned, the Diamond Waste Company, had burned twice before. And the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory had burned before, too. Working conditions in the Triangle Factory were miserable, also. Mostly young Jewish and Italian immigrants and young women worked at the factory making shirtwaists, or button-down blouses that were modeled on menswear shirts. The workers were packed in rows at sewing machines. They worked 52 hours a week and made from $7 to $12 for that week's worth of work, which is about $186 to $319 per week in today's money. They got basically no breaks. Bins full of clothing material made perfect kindling for fire. And if a fire did happen, exit options were dangerously limited. Workers had to leave at the Green Street exit so they could be searched for any stolen items one by one. The fire escape was narrow and unstable. The fire code was pretty much ignored here. In 1909, the International Ladies Garment Workers Union led a strike protesting the poor pay and long hours in factories. When workers at shirtwaist companies walked out, the Women's Trade Union League advocated for them. Blanc and Harris, though, weren't into the idea of paying workers more and giving them better hours. The garment industry had made some gains during this time, like getting a grievance system, but workers' rights and conditions in factories were still subpar. So on the afternoon of Saturday, March 25, 1911, a fire broke out on the top floors of the Ash Building where the Triangle Factory was located. It's not exactly clear how the fire started, but it was determined to have been sparked by a cigarette or a cigar that was thrown in the scrap bin where the fire originated. The fire safety measures that were willfully ignored in the factory could have saved a lot of people from being caught in the blaze. 
but the ninth floor door to the Washington Place stairs was locked, possibly on purpose by the owners to prevent theft. Some workers escaped on the elevators and some slid down the elevator cables to exit, while some sadly fell down the elevator shaft as they tried to get out. After many people had fell off the fire escape, which stopped before the ground anyway, the whole stairway fell, killing the people on it. Some people jumped from windows to escape the fire after they found no other way to exit the burning building. The safety net firefighters set up below the windows broke, and the firefighters' ladders were too short to rescue people as they stopped at the seventh floor and the fire was on the eighth. In a twisted illustration of the class division and suppressed rights of industrial workers, Harris, Blanc, Blanc's daughters, and all the other workers on the 10th floor, which was the executive floor, made it out alive by taking the elevator or taking the stairs to the roof. The whole horrible ordeal lasted for about 18 minutes. 146 of the approximately 500 workers died. Martha Binsley Bruer wrote in the paper Life and Labor that May, Harris and Blanc, the Triangle Company, have offered to pay one week's wages to the families of the dead girls, as though it were summer and they are giving them a vacation. The Triangle Waste Company had moved to a new location in, quote, good working order after the fire, though it was found that the new location wasn't fireproof and a fire escape exit was already blocked. In the wake of the disaster, people mourned the loss of the workers, protested the unsafe conditions in factories, and demanded Harris and Blanc go to trial. Progressive organizations helped give out pensions and helped place injured workers in jobs and homes. Blanc and Harris were charged with manslaughter in the second degree under Section 80 of the Labor Code, which said that doors should not be locked during working hours. They went to trial in December, but the owners were acquitted as the jury doubted that the owners knew the doors were locked, even though a bunch of people testified that they couldn't open the doors to the Washington Place exit. 23 civil suits were brought against Blanc and Harris, but in the end, they only paid $75 for each person who died. After the fire, the Factory Investigating Commission was established. Workplace safety mandates like sprinklers and high-rises and outward-swinging exit doors spread across New York and to the rest of the U.S. In the years to follow, politicians began incorporating labor reform into their platforms, and the emergence of more labor unions and the New Deal was on the horizon. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about the fire, you can listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Fire at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. If there's something that I missed in an episode, you can share it on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through history. See you here, same place, tomorrow. Hey y'all, it's Eves. Welcome to another episode of This Day in History Class. The day was March 25th, 1655. Dutch astronomer Christian Huygens first observed Saturn's largest moon, Titan. 
Hykins studied law and mathematics at the University of Leiden and at the Orange College of Breda. After that, he stayed at home and pursued his scientific interests, thanks to the financial support of his wealthy father. This period, from 1650 to 1666, was a productive time in Hykins' life. He and his brother devoted time to developing telescopes. In the early 1650s, he worked on improving his telescopes by using a new way of grinding lenses that increased clarity. Using his lenses, he was better able to observe the skies. In 1655, he turned his attention to Saturn. Back in 1610, Galileo became the first person to observe Saturn with a telescope. Back then, there was confusion over Saturn's appearance. Galileo saw Saturn as some sort of three-part body, with a large body in the middle and two smaller lateral bodies. Astronomers thought that two handles may have been attached to Saturn. Galileo did, however, first observe Jupiter's moons around this time. But decades later, Hykins was poised to make new discoveries with his improved telescope. On March 25, 1655, he discovered Saturn's largest moon, which we now know as Titan. At the time, Hykins named it Saturni Luna, which is Latin for Saturn's moon. He published the discovery in a pamphlet called A New Observation of Saturn's Moon. Mathematician and astronomer John Herschel suggested the name Titan for Saturn's largest moon centuries later in an 1847 publication. In 1659, Hykins unveiled his theory that Saturn was surrounded by a flat ring. By the time he died in 1695, he'd made many contributions to optics, astronomy, and mechanics. Over the years, astronomers discovered more of Saturn's moons. Now, Saturn is said to have 82 moons, though only 53 of them are confirmed and named. Since Hykins' initial observation, scientists have learned a lot more about Titan. It's the second largest moon in the solar system, and it's about 759,000 miles, or 1.2 million kilometers, from Saturn. It's cold and icy. It's also the only moon known to have a dense atmosphere that's mostly nitrogen like Earth's. Titan is also the only place besides Earth known to have liquid in the form of rivers, lakes, and seas on its surface. Liquid methane and ethane are present, and there is likely an underground ocean of liquid water. There could be environments with conditions suitable for life on Titan, but there is no evidence of life there. I'm Eve's Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to send us a note, you can do so on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TDIHCpodcast. And you can also send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.